I'm Jessica Wilde from Research and Practice, and in this three-part podcast series, you will hear me in conversation with Ali. Ali's studying to be a social worker, and her reflections are brave, honest, and informed by her lived experience and knowledge. Ali talks powerfully about how she navigated the children's social care system when experiencing domestic abuse from her ex-partner, as well as reflecting upon how her perspectives of the relationship changed over time. This podcast series provides unique insight into the nuances and complexities of child protection work in the context of domestic abuse, as well as shining a light on the challenges associated with holding perpetrators of domestic abuse to account as part of children's social care response. In speaking openly about her own experiences, Ali offers new understandings and valuable opportunities for developing alternative working practices and ways of thinking in relation to how children's social care work with families where there is a person causing harm or perpetrator of domestic abuse. She also gives us vital insights into the limitations and indeed the harms that can arise, albeit inadvertently, when children's social care and the family court's sole focus is on a victim's duty to protect their children, as well as to terminate the relationship with a violent partner. There are some messages which are hard to hear, but which will be of little surprise to other colleagues working in this field. This includes difficult messages regarding how some mothers experience the social care system and about how professional interventions can make victim survivors feel, both of which are reflected in academic research. It is, however, important not to apportion any individual blame and instead recognise that the messages in Ali's podcast reflect the extent of the significant challenges facing the children's social care sector at the moment, as well as emphasising the need for wider systems and culture change in relation to this highly complex area of practice. In this first conversation, Ali begins by describing the relationship and the violence she experienced, as well as the circumstances in which her family first came to be involved in children's social care. She reflects upon her ambivalence about wanting help, the limitations of the safeguarding response she received, as well as talking about the painful truth of her experience of social care as coercive and as a source of fear rather than support. This is a Research in Practice podcast, supporting evidence-informed practice with children and families, young people and adults. Hi Ali, really nice to have you here. Thanks so much for joining us today. Um, would you like to introduce yourself uh, to everyone listening at home? I'm Ali. I'm 25 now. I've got two children. Both have been involved with children's social services. Um, I was in an abusive relationship, but I left it nearly a year ago, next month. Um, I was in that relationship for just under six years. Um, and had a child two years into it. We met at work. We was really close friends for maybe a year or two before we actually got into a relationship. Um, the abuse started pretty early on in it, a lot of emotional control um, very early on, and it kind of got worse. There was a lot more emotional and psychological abuse to it rather than physical, but when the physical did happen, it was bad. There was strangulation, suffocation, um, I'd been hit in the head, windows smashed. Um, there was then stuff that I didn't disclose to social services and I've only just recently disclosed to the police purely out of 
fear of social services using even further against me. So there was an incident when I was pregnant where he tried to, um, I don't think he would have actually done it, but led me really to believe that he was going to crash the car with us in it and said that he wanted to kill us all while I was pregnant. Um, there, were, there was a lot that went on. Um, and at the time when social care first got involved, as I said, I didn't disclose all of it. I only disclosed of what was already on the system, what other people had replied, because I was scared that the more I disclosed, the more worse it was going to be for me and having my baby. Um, and yeah, that's kind of the background of what happened. Initial referral went in with the midwife um, because there'd been a history. That just got followed up with a phone call and no case was opened. And then the actual case opened when I reported him to the police for locking me in while I was heavily pregnant. Um, and that's when it all started. And can you tell me um, a bit about your experiences of social care during that time? So maybe starting from, from when the referral was made when you were pregnant. Um, the first referral with the midwife, that was literally led with a phone call. I got asked the same question in different ways. Basically, would I leave if anything happened again? If he did it again, am I going to leave? Do I understand how that would impact my child? It, it was the same question but in different ways throughout this phone call. Um, of course, at that time, I believed if something happened again while I have my child, then of course I'd leave. I, I genuinely believed that I would. I didn't know until later that actually it was even harder than what I thought it was going to be having a child. Um, that didn't lead to a case being opened. That ended up closing um, on the grounds that I'd met the right choice. Um, then the next referral went in after I called the police. Um, he, plant, he hid the TV in the shed. I didn't know, but he told me that he'd stole it. He'd also locked me in the house. Um, I couldn't get out. Um, and I made that report to the police. I'd stayed in the relationship. I didn't leave the relationship at that time. Um, that's when social care got involved um, so they needed to do a pre-birth assessment um, I don't know why but it took a very long time before it started end up it was a couple of weeks before my due date that that started um, that process was just going over, over childhood um, a lot of the basic stuff um, the outcome of that was I was given some advice of that I should attend a mother and baby placement. But if I didn't take that advice, then they would be looking at going to court. Um, so it wasn't really advice. So the only option that I had was to take this placement. Um, that meant obviously moving out of moving out from him as well, which was a big, a big step for me. I'd lived with him from the minute we got together. Um, then I ended up going into hospital early with preeclampsia. While I was in the hospital, it was only then that I got made aware it'd be going to PLO. Um, at that time, I didn't really understand what it meant. I didn't understand that it was literally steps before court. Um, solicitor came to visit me and straight away said that I need to sign something saying I'm going to leave him, which I found very confusing because I'd never been told that that's what I needed to do. Um, so I told the solicitor that wasn't the plan. The plan was that if I go into this placement, we're, we're going to work through it and we're going to try do the work to make it so it's healthier. Um, but she found really odd. She She's never really heard of that happening. 
Um, but we ended up, we just made the plan of that. I'll sign the I think it's section 20 um, to go in the placement once I leave the hospital. Could you tell me about some of the, the challenges? It was very clear from, from most of the social workers. We had in total of the, I think it was four years, we had seven social workers. Um, and from majority of them, it was very clear what their end outcome was. And that was that I need to build up strength to leave. That it was clear that's what the focus was on. Um, they would try and encourage him maybe to do caring dads and things, but it was still very clear the pressure was on me to get ready to go. Only safety plan social care put in place was for me to call the police. I knew realistically I wasn't going to do it. I knew that, but I knew I needed to have something to make sure that we could get out of there safely regardless. Mm. Um, so I set up a code with the foster lady, and if I sent this full stop, that meant we need to get out of here. Something's going to escalate. And in the end, I did have to use that in this gradual move. Um which didn't go down well. I got criticised a lot um, that I wasn't protecting my daughter because I didn't call the police and I should have called the police. But at the same time, I know by calling the police, sometimes that makes it 10 times worse in that situation. Had the police have turned up at that door, it would have been bad for me. We had a closing PLO meeting and I was told in the meeting that even though it's closing, if I resume a relationship with him I must inform them but if I do resume a relationship with him it will probably escalate further than PLO and go to court um which so I would just stuck really either way it wasn't gonna go well um I ended up resuming a relationship with him and I lied I didn't tell anyone it was going on in all honesty, some of my family knew and some of my friends knew about it. We had safety plans set up in place just in case of anything, stuff that we'd done before I was pregnant um, and things. I mean, the family group conferences kind of helped us in that as much as I know I shouldn't have been lying to social care. But from the family group conference, they was well aware of the situation as well now. And then we also had some knowledge on how we can make good plans that mean that we can stay safe. Yeah. Um, so eventually it came out that I'd been lying Um, one of my neighbours had sent a picture and the social came out and even to the very end I was still trying to lie trying any way to get myself out of it because I knew that that, yeah that was it in my head they was taking her now that's literally sorry and I knew that I I'd kind of caused it as well because I shouldn't have lied, but I just felt stuck and I felt like I couldn't tell them. I couldn't tell them that I was back of him because I was going to cry either way and I thought if I just lie and just get the case closed, then that was the best way. And it was almost working in a bad way. It, it was working. The case kept on de-escalating because I wasn't with him. He was still seeing her. He was still seeing me and the case was de-escalating. But I knew the minute that I tell them, that's it, it was going to go back up and I'd already been told that it'd go to court so when obviously they found out I'd been lying I generally thought that that was it. I know when we'd spoken previously um, and when you've written about your experiences you've described feeling um, blackmailed and ignored by children of social care um, and that you felt you weren't offered a real choice regarding what you did with your relationship. 
could you expand on that a bit about how you felt um, when that was happening? I mean, it was more of it was very clear that most social workers that are involved and managers had this very clear end goal in mind of for me to leave, knowing that I wasn't in a position where I was ready to leave, but still always having that reminder of that that's what they want for the end of it. So the constant pressure was on, you know, around me building strength to leave or me educating myself on domestic abuse to be able to leave. So everything was kind of done with the outcome of wanting to leave, even though that wasn't what I wanted. I wanted for, you know, to just be healthy and safe and to keep my family together. Um, they, I know that at the very beginning when they did open the case, they said that they was fine with that and that they do work with us both, but it, it shifts very fast into a lot of the work that they want you to do with domestic abuse services is all around that thing of leaving. It literally everything is. Um, then it was, there was times when I was told on the phone and things that I have to, you know, I need to know that it is going to get to a point someday where I'm going to have to make that choice. Um, between leaving him or losing at that point it was my daughter um and then it got to a point further down the line where I literally got blackmailed I mean I'd had it mentioned to me loads but then I then got put in a room with a manager and a social worker and told to make an ultimatum at the time I didn't know that they wasn't allowed to do that um, I started questioning actually whether that was meant to do that after it got written in the reports is that I disclosed to them that I'd made a choice and I'd informed them that I've made this decision when it, it wasn't like that. They portrayed it so differently in the reports. Um, and yeah, that was a lot of the blackmail and then the black, well, that was with the relationship, but then there was other blackmail then where they used my children. They was the bait. And they knew that I love them and that I don't want to lose them. So what a better way to try and force me into doing what they want and to tick these boxes than by saying, if I don't follow their advice, then we're going to look at court. And court's always been portrayed to me as that straight looking for removal, straight away going into child removal proceedings rather than all the other stuff that comes before that. And so they knew that I wasn't very educated on how that system works. Um, it's yeah it's, that's been just a common thing really of you know we're going to give you this advice or we'll have to look at removal not removal at a car I mean I have been told at one point that there was going to do removal um but then it turned out that wasn't actually correct and they'd clearly just said that to really ingrain that fear um which seems to be common as well it's like I know that when I went into it, I kind of had this idea of, you know, yes, I'm scared of a social service. All my family told me, like, you just need to get them off your case. You need to get them to go. But, you know, actually, I had support from services as a child. So I did believe, you know, they're here to help. But my opinion very, very quickly changed once they started with all of the advice that's not advice. And, yeah, just using everything against me. Something you mentioned just then, which was um, really struck me, was you, you mentioned feeling fearful of, mm -hmm. of, of social care. Um, could you tell me a bit more about that? There was a, they're the people that can take away your child. They're like, 
you no one's gonna sit there and say yes please take them either so that was like the biggest fear that became more scary to me than him but in a way almost made it so that what I was going through with him didn't feel half as bad because what I was going through with them felt a hundred times worse and they were doing the same stuff as what he would do to move the emotional manipulation and things you know emotionally using my daughter against me to force me into these things that I don't want to do or to force me into things where I knew that I was setting myself up to fail but I had to agree with it because that's what they wanted just like with things with him I would have to agree to certain things and to be fair it kind of boils down to them unwritten rules again that you have in abusive relationships I almost had them with social care as well um, I knew what they wanted me to do. I knew what they expected me to do. And sometimes I'd have to almost, it just got very confusing actually mentally when I'm looking back because I knew that they wanted me to work towards leaving. I knew I didn't want to leave, but I had to portray that I was also working on the route of towards leaving because that's what they wanted me to do. And if I didn't do that as well. So it's again, like I'm just literally getting it from both sides, getting it from him and then getting it from them. Um, but they definitely don't help with the whole fear. And I used to describe it very much apart from with one social worker as a me versus them. And that's how it was for a long, long period of it. There wasn't any team in it. At the end of the day, we all wanted the same thing. And that was for my children to have a healthy, loving, safe home. I didn't want anything less for them. But they saw it as because I was still staying in that relationship, then I can't be wanting that for them. Something else I, I know we spoke about um, and that you, you wrote as well was that you felt repeatedly criticised for minimising what you were going through um, and that actually you saw that as your coping mechanisms. Could you expand a bit about that? I mean, I think at the time I wasn't aware that I was even doing it. it I, I didn't really understand all of the things like trauma bonds and avoidance and emotional. I didn't understand it, even know about PTSD. Um, so, I mean, when I look back and then I was doing the pre-birth assessment, I remember coming out of one comment when they asked about the physical stuff. And I said, oh, he, he only strangled me. But then they took that as that I was really minimising things and that I wasn't recognizing how bad it was I mean obviously how can you not know how bad it is that someone strangled you but then now when I've done a lot of work around like how I because it it always got used against me because when I speak about incidents it was it, I mean I think it's now called like dissociation or something I would speak and it's as though I'm talking about someone else's life like I'm not emotionally involved in it and I'll state it as like statements rather than like have any feeling towards it I remember even friends at points like looking at me a bit confused on how can you talk about you know nearly being killed as though like you know you tripped over the path but that it's complicated and I've gotten better with it now but it was used against me by social carers that I was minimizing everything and then because he was you know, he would say if we've had arguments around things, then he would then get praised and then I would then get punished almost with their threats and things of that. Again, I was minimising it. But also he he would all he he did. He wasn't, you know, suffering from any PTSD or anything. So when he was minimising it, he was minimising it. But no one said that to him. And 
actually that didn't really get written down in reports. So again, it was that pressure on me to recognise abuse, but not half as much pressure for him to recognise it. Um, but that happened a lot of times throughout. Really. I think that was probably as well down to social workers not understanding that that's how it is. But then being the professionals, I would expect really that they understand that that might have been what I was going through and actually speak to me about it. And I could have maybe understood it myself a little bit earlier than, you know, four years later. I know while you were dealing with that challenge of, of, of um, not leaving and trying to come to that point when you were ready, you, you put together your own plan, didn't you? Um, yeah. How was that received? I, um, so that was when when they found out that I'd been lying to them and then I went and stayed with my dad um, with my daughter just because mentally I was all over the place he'd gone to prison and then I had it in my head that she's going to be removed they're applying for interim care orders so I just felt like I'd completely lost control of everything everything was out of my hands and I knew that you know I was to blame for part of it for lying um, but I also knew that actually I was lying because I was—I couldn't deal with them keeping setting me up to fail, like making these plans that I knew I couldn't go along with. Um, but I just agreed with it for the sake of agreeing most of the time. Um, so I ended up sitting down and I just wrote my own plan. I looked at the prison that he was in and I looked at what they had there. I looked at what I could do for me. I rung up um, Women's Talk and managed to get counselling for myself so this would have been nearly a year in now um and I just writ and it was a really detailed plan I put in a lot of effort into this plan I really looked at every risk that could be posed to my daughter and really tried to work so that it could be as small as possible so even things like she already had this relationship sustained with him so I didn't want her to lose her relationship with her dad while he was in prison so I felt it was important to still keep on building on their relationship separate to me and him because I still always and even to this day now even we're separated my relationship with him and whatever it was going to be I always wanted to treat his and her relationship very separate um unfortunately he doesn't have the exact same view but that's typical um and I made this plan of that she would visit with my dad so that I wasn't going to be as heavily involved to make sure, again, that the relationship was staying separate. When I called up the social worker to say I wanted to come and sit down with her and speak to her, um, she asked what it was about. I said I'd rather speak in person. That's when she asked if I was pregnant and I told her definitely not. She told me that would be the worst thing possible. So I immediately knew her opinion on me as a mum. And this is the same social worker that has said, that she would leave for her kids after I tried giving her this plan. Um, so I went and met with her with an auntie and she didn't even really get me fully through the plan. She said she didn't agree with it, but she's sure that I should surely agree that prison's no place for a child to be visiting, um, which is bizarre because now there's so much that recognises the importance of kids seeing their dads and keeping that relationship. Um but she said that she didn't agree with that and she wouldn't support it. Um, and she just really dismissed the whole plan, really. It just kind of got, there was no point in me doing it because she didn't listen to any of it. Um, she left shortly afterwards anyway. Um, so then it was another, I think we had the manager for a little while and then another 
social worker. Mm-hmm. Um, she very much didn't like my plans either because it wasn't what fitted with her end goal. And it was clear again, the end goal, I need to use the time as in prison to leave. And I just, the amount of times that now at this point, I've started to build up a lot more strength of that, you know, I can't just sit here and keep nodding my head with what I don't agree with and what I know isn't going to work for me. I'm not letting you set these plans up for me to fail, for you to then actually go to court. Um, so, and I had this mindset now of that if I'm going to go to court, I'm going to court with the truth and with a failed plan that I've made myself, that I've had an actual input in, not with you just telling me what to do all the time. Um, so when we had an FGC and things and my family were very much like, we don't understand why you've not been to the prison to visit him. And she very much did not like that. We was asking her like, why again? Has he just been, you know, do we just leave it as though he's got nothing to do with this situation? The only reason we're in this situation is because of him and because of his behavior. But instead it's just always portrayed as no, actually it's because I haven't left him. listening to this research in practice podcast we hope you've enjoyed it why not share with your colleagues and let us know your thoughts on twitter tweet us at research ip my conversation with ali continues in part two of this podcast which is listed on the research and practice website alongside the episodes you'll also find links to materials ali has developed including reflective questions in a poem she's written there are also links for further reading